Welcome to the Two Year Bible, a two year Bible reading plan and weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church. And I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey, everybody. And we are heading into the tail end of the book of Judges, which uh, hopefully, uh, as you read it, that you didn't get. Um, too uh, disturbed by all or the details. Or maybe you did yeah, get too disturbed, did, and yeah. that might be a good thing. Yeah, because it, it was pretty rough uh, to, to finish up this book. And uh, and so right from the get-go, uh, we're introduced to this character named Micah. And uh, it's it's just, all these stories just feel so bonkers to me, where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, mom, uh, remember that money that you got stolen that you just cursed? I just wanted to let you know I stole it, and I'm going to give it back to you. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's great. Well, let's go make a carved image out of it. It's like what? What is going on with these people? And yeah. and and they're just doing crazy stuff. Mike has got some idols too. It's just we're we're, we're hearing just some of the worst of the worst. Right. Yeah. So we see Micah and his mom wanting to worship Yahweh, but not follow any instructions or rules around it. So building these different kind of idols. And first, he appoints his sons to be priests, and they're not Levites. But then he finds this Levite, and so this Levite sells himself out uh, from from obeying and worshiping God in the temple to basically being someone's private priest, which is forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. They basically create like an at home tabernacle for himself with this priest and this altar. And so uh, it's like, Hey, I can go worship God in my PJs and that's totally fine with God. It's like, no, it clearly seems from the book of judges. that it's not uh, how the setup should be. And so, uh, but in those days there was no King and everybody did was right in their own eyes. So yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good lesson that how we worship God really matters. We can't just say, I feel like God wants me to worship him like this. We need to look at scripture and what we understand of God so that our worship will be acceptable. Yeah. And then we hear about the Danites in the book. And so this is uh, not a great story of this tribe. And so they're complaining they have no inheritance, but they do have an inheritance. Everybody has inheritance. They've all been mapped out. And um, what really seems like is Dan didn't really deal with the Western part of their inheritance, which is dealing with the Philistines, which will become a problem uh, for Israel. But um, they, they, they're complaining and they ultimately want some new land. Wherever they're, wherever God has given them is not satisfying them. And so they want something else. They are Um, rejecting the inheritance that God gave them. And so uh, they find a town way north of Israel. So on the, the, the far end of all the tribes uh, that's ruled by some folks at Sidon. So it hadn't been conquered necessarily yet, uh, but they decide to set out and to deal with it and to take it. And along the way, they, they've they seen this Levite before and they decide to, to not only steal a bunch of idols from Micah, but take this Levite with them uh, in the process and they destroy the city. Yeah, it's this weird sort of superstition, I guess. Like, I guess if we have some sort of priest with us, God will be with us. Right. They don't. They don't understand. Yeah, it's so interesting because we're going to see that in the beginning of First Samuel. Where it's like, hey, if we just put the tabernacle out, God will win the battles. Like, there's a superstition with it, and mm-hmm. um, it's like, no, 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 that's not. That's not exactly how it yeah. works. Um, Though sometimes we say certain things, like, I pray this in Jesus' name, and we we believe that if we say certain words, we that's may right. special incantation. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's just yeah, it's not it's not it's not how it works here, and so um, yeah, it's interesting. So Dan ultimately ends up on the north side of all the tribes, and I think for them it's like, hey, like we couldn't really deal with the Philistines, so we're just going to go to the other side of town and end up on the north side. But from here on out, like we're going to end up with some kings, but then ultimately God's going to 
bring kind of the harshest judgment through captivity. So the Assyrians are going to show up to town and wipe out the Northern kingdoms, uh, the Babylonians, and eventually the Persians. And Dan being the northernmost tribe is going to deal with the invasions every time and ultimately be actually be wiped out as, as a tribe. Um, and, and even if you get into the book of revelation, Dan's name's not even there when they list the 12 tribes. And so, um, I think Dan ultimately thinks that uh, we just want a better plot of land. We don't want what God has actually said and given us. Mm. And in so doing ultimately, bears the brunt of God's judgment uh, down the road. Yeah. So, yeah. And and that's a, a reminder to us to kind of stay in our own lanes, like just to stay within the calling that God has given us. Don't abandon it because you think somebody else is doing something better or there's a better option. Um, be obedient to what God has tasked you with and do it faithfully and understand that that is God's best for you, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Yeah. Dan's very much living a grass is greener, uh, but come to find out it really wasn't. Yeah. And so uh, then we hear about a Levite again. Uh, so uh, as, as Sarah noted last week, we were walking through Judges. We don't hear a lot about the priesthood. We don't hear a lot for most of this book. And then we're introduced to a few Levites at the end here. And um, yeah, hearing about them, it's not, it's not, it's not a positive story either time. Uh, and so um, this, this uh, as you were reading it, hopefully you drew out and you're like, you know what, this, this does sound like a story I've read before. And there's so many parallels uh, between um, this story and the Sodom and Gomorrah story of Lot and the angels who came and visit. And so, um, yeah, this, this Levite has a wife, she leaves him. He goes after her. Uh, eventually, they leave the father's house after a few days being convinced to stay in the middle of the night they're traveling and they have this choice between this Gentile city and this city that's, that's Israelites. They're, they're Benjaminites. In Gibeah. Yeah. And um, they think they'll be better off with their own people. Right. And come to find out their own people are corrupt and not any better than uh, Sodom and Gomorrah who are sort of um, pictures of, of, terrible terribleness and behavior and sin and all that and so um yeah and the levite pushes his concubine out when some men come to 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 basically rape them and um the levite lets her be raped all night in the morning he's basically like all right let's get going and um and then takes her home and then chops her up in 12 pieces and then sends them to the 12 tribes it's like, what is going it's, on? Yeah, it's, it's so sickening. Crazy. It really is. And, and you're reading, you're like, what has happened here? And basically the closing line sort of feels like this is, things have gotten so bad. Like so this bad. is, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like a refrain to go, this is how low things had really gotten. And, and for the reader to be sort of like shocked. And, and I think that's meant to be there. Now there's application. We'll deal with that when Sarah and I give our final thoughts, but like, yeah, the, the sort of like, we should be shocked at how terrible the things are. Yeah. And it, you know, the fact that this guy is a Levite too. I mean, the Levites, not only were these people becoming pagan and, and disobeying God's law, but the Levites were meant to be, I mean, Israel was meant to be a priesthood to the nations. So not only are they not worshiping God themselves, but they're restricting and not allowing others to come and worship God because no one is leading them there. And so the priests who are meant to lead people to God and to worship of Yahweh have led them the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. Not only is Israel descended into sin, but those who can do the work to atone aren't doing, aren't doing it. It's, and so, yeah, not, it just all, is heartbreaking. all the systems are broken. Yeah. And so um, the 11 nations who have received all these body parts are now sort of like, all right, we got to do something. Mm -hmm. And they demand Benjamin turn over the folks in this town. And the, the tribe of Benjamin 
decides, nope, we're going to defend our own people and our own city and uh, put up a fight, win at least the first battle. Um, the, the tribes ask God, all right, should we keep going to battle with Benjamin? And God says yes. It's We don't get a lot of God talking necessarily right. in this later part, but but God says yes. And, um, and yeah, ultimately- Yeah, I mean, fasting and praying and seeking God was so rare in this time. Yeah. And ultimately they win against this terrible group of Benjaminites. And so, uh, but it's important to note, like the stories have gone from- Israel driving out the Canaanites, right. trying, like that's their job, heading out of the book of Joshua and, and the introduction of, of judges, like that's what they were supposed to be doing and they're struggling to do that. But by now, they're just fighting with themselves. They're not even dealing with Canaanites and, yeah. and they're just battling and, and driving out their own people. Yeah, basically extinguishing them. Yeah. Just about. Just so about, Benjamin but, ends up with what, 600 people, yep. 600 men at this yep. point. And we get another like just crazy kooky story Awful. where it's like, Hey, like, uh, th- well, we, we don't want the tribe to totally go away. So we need some wives, but where are we going to get wives from? And it's like, well, we don't want them from our own people, but there was this one town that didn't come and fight with us. Let's destroy the town. Let's take all the virgins and give them to all the Benjaminites. And it's like, well, that's still not enough people. Okay. Well in Shiloh, Hey, there's, there's a festival. There's some ladies there. They're going to be dancing. Let's just kidnap them. And then we'll give them to the, <laughs> to the Benjaminites as well. It's like, what is going right. on? Well, how did things get this bad? Yeah. And in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was yeah. right in their own eyes. I mean, yeah, they're doing what they can to preserve their own line. And all they have to do is seek the Lord. Two wrongs do not make it right. Yeah. And this you don't get like to cover up your sin <laughs> with sin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's wrong after wrong after wrong. It's not really solving any problems for them. And, yeah. and that's the end of Judges. Yeah, that's, that's it. Um, what, what a pick me up that book was. Yeah. It's the downward spiral. And, um, and for me, I mean, any final thoughts from you for Sarah? Um, yeah. I mean, I think for me, Judges, which I think this probably happens every time I read it, is it just required me to really come from my belief about the depravity of mankind apart from God um, and how much I do or I don't tolerate sin. I think oftentimes I think we're okay in and of ourselves, but what I truly have to believe and understand that it is the grace of God. Um, There's a form of grace called common grace that God gives to all people. And then there's particular grace for those of us who are saved, but we need that common grace and that particular grace to not be like these people are. And I just, I left it saying like, you know, I really, really hate the sin of these people we read about in judges, but do I hate my sin, my own personal sin that much? Probably not. And so I kind of left praying like, Lord, let me despise my sin in me, in my own life, the way I despise the sin of others. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just reading it, it's like, I feel like they went into this started this book going, Hey, we're God's people. We're good. We're in the land. This is going to go well for us. And um, I think they kind of settled in and, and don't recognize just how, powerful and how quickly sin can wreck havoc. Yeah. Um, as one book I'm reading right now, he talks about sinning downhill and that's what this book feels like. It like starts with smaller sins and then just quickly escalates mm-hmm. uh, into just terrible things. And and how in, in my own life, like I'm only one or two bad decisions. I'm only one or two bad moments from just having sin wreck my, my, my life or wreck my family or wreck my job or wreck whatever it is. And so um, some of the statements are like, I can't imagine them doing that. Like, I can't believe they did that. It's like, uh, we should always be a little cautious on those kind of statements Mm -hmm. where it's like, we're, we're not far off from the enemy's work either doing something terrible in our own lives. And so, um, but, but it's interesting because they came out of the, 
of Egypt. They came out of the slavery there, but now it feels like they're re-enslaving themselves, but not, it's not Pharaoh. It's not um, shackles. It's not all that kind of stuff. It's their own sort of prison uh, that they are creating for themselves in sin. And so I'll, I'll include a link to a, a song from um, Behold the Lamb, Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb, but it like it, the, the whole song feels that way. It's like recognizing in Israel, like, look, we, we're still shackled. We're not shackled by Pharaoh, but we're still shackled in sin and we need deliverance. Yeah. And so we need a better judge that that's not flawed. That's not going to die um, at the end of every other chapter. And so, yeah. And so this is such a, a point towards Jesus mm-hmm. uh, in, in how this book is sort of leaving us, I think, of going like, look, this is without a redeemer. This is what life looks like. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's really easy for us to start to believe in this idea of progressivism that we are now in the 21st century, not like they were way back then. They were like the barbarians of old, but you look around at the world and the exact same kind of stuff that we read about in judges is happening now. I mean, um, there's a lot of examples I could give, but even just think of Boko Haram, like they're, they're stealing girls and forcing them to be wives. And so, um, we do we do not progress beyond the grace of God, yep. which keeps us from sin. Yep. It's, and leads us back into into repentance and holiness. And so we move from a dark spot to a bit of a light spot as mm-hmm. we get into the book of Ruth. Um so if just judges is dealing with all the brokenness leading up to a monarchy, this book sort of stands as a reminder that not everything was terrible and awful in yeah. Israel. Like there were still faithful people. There was, there was a always remnant. a remnant, yeah. Um and so which is always a reminder throughout Israel's history. It's like, look, not everybody. Even Elijah at one point, the prophet's like, Am I the only one who believes? And God reminds him. It's like, no, no. There's mm-hmm. still some faithful people in Israel. Yeah. But quit quit thinking that everything's going to hell in a basket they're still faithful yeah. um and so yeah we're introduced to this book uh it's named after a woman which is historically and culturally already shocking um and not only that but she's foreign uh, right. which uh, which makes it even more uh provocative and uh this book will cover topics like um uh, this this hebrew word has said which really means like sometimes it gets translated as like loving kindness or just kindness this sort of like devotional kindness um that that uh, we'll see in ruth we'll see it uh, ascribed to god god talks about it in himself in the psalms and stuff too um but yeah, and and yes, the book is broken up. It's only four chapters, so it is meant to be read together. Uh, we kind of break it up right at like the perfect commercial break. Uh, I think where it's like tragedy is struck, and and um, what's the hope? Mm. Uh, but yeah, and it's also important to remember that this book came in the Jewish Bible up until um, the the New Testament sort of got reoriented and re reworked all the Old Testament books right after Proverbs thirty one. So as you read Proverbs 31 uh, next week, but um, just know like you read about um, what's described ultimately as sort of the, the virtuous woman uh, in Proverbs 31. And then Ruth is basically described that same way in this book. Yeah. It's the only time we see that Hebrew phrase. It's worthy and, woman. And we'll also include a link to the Bible project on Ruth as we do with all the other mm-hmm. starting points of these books. Yeah. And just pay a little bit of attention again to this idea of Gentiles being included in the people of God. Yep. And now we've just looked at how unfaithful God's chosen people of Israel were. And then we get to say like, oh, but there's a story of faithfulness. And it kind of begins with a Gentile woman. Yeah. Yeah. It's always 
Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Always. And so um, we get a setup. Once upon a time, there was this family, but there was a famine. And uh, they all have crazy names. Uh, Limelech is my god is king, but his sons are sickness and destruction. And so um, looking up these names are always interesting because you're like, oh, this may not go well for these sons. Uh, and um, they head to Moab, uh, which is south east of Israel. Uh, so out in the desert. So if there's a famine in Israel, there's probably going to be a famine in Moab too, but they head out that way anyways. Um, but things go downhill really quickly. Naomi's mm-hmm. husband dies. Uh, the sons marry Moabites. And if we remember some of the stories of Moabite women, it wasn't necessarily the greatest collection of uh, that that Israel should be marrying into. Yeah. Uh, so the Moabites actually came from the incestuous relationship with Lot and his older daughter. And so they were, they were, the ones who hired Balaam to curse Israel. I mean, they did a lot of things and they were actually forbidden to be in the temple. Yep. Um, and Israel was not to seek their peace or prosperity. Yeah. And um, and the sons die too. So Naomi's left without grandkids, no husband, no sons. And so in a ancient cultural situation, this is as rough as you can yeah. possibly be. Like you are left with nothing. There's no provision for you. Not only that, but there's definitely no provision, not amongst the Israelites. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, it's 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 as bleak as you can kind of present the opening of a story. Mm. Uh, but then we hear famine is over. There's some form of good news. So Naomi does what um, she, she doesn't know what she's going to enter into possibly going home, but she does hear that there's provision again, at least in food. And so she tells these Moabite women to go back to their families, which is a reasonable suggestion. Uh, and um, one goes home, the not Oprah, but Orpah. And Ruth, uh, her, has said her loving kindness towards mm-hmm. her mother-in-law um, keeps her there. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, she she throws off her identity in her statement to, to, to Naomi too, saying, look, I will worship Yahweh, like not the Moabite gods, like your God will be my God and your people, the Israelites will be my people um, in, 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 in wanting to go back with Naomi. Yeah. So it's a big, a big shift in Ruth. We see this basically conversion experience. Yeah. And, and then we get one of the rare self renaming moments in scripture mm-hmm. uh, where uh, Naomi changes her name from pleasant to, to bitter or rebellious, depending on how you, how you want to take it. But um, she's, she's coming back and she's destroyed. And right. whether she's emotionally destroyed, whether she's recognizing maybe they shouldn't have gone to Mo, I don't know. But um, she, she certainly is not her pleasant self. Yeah. And um, once again, the author keeps going out of the way. We'll keep seeing this in this book to like point out Ruth, the Moabite, the Moabite from Moab named Ruth. And so it's going to happen multiple times. Um, and she went away full with sons and a husband and came back empty. And that's going to be a, an important picture, word picture through the rest of this book. Yeah. And you know, I think at this at this point, Naomi does not yet see the full picture. She's still living in the story and she hasn't seen the end of it. And she just reminds me of Job. She's lost everything and God seems very absent, uh, but she still submits to him. Yeah. And she believes that he is the one who does the work and she doesn't know what or why. And is kind of accepting her fate, but she doesn't reject God. Yeah. Naomi seems to have hope of going back to her people that something's going to be better. Mm. And, um, that whether the people care for her, whether Yahweh provides for her, whatever it is, even though technically at this moment, there's no family, there's no land, there's no sons, mm-hmm. there's no one that will uh, likely take up our Moabite daughter-in-law. Uh, but we're sort of left with this final statement, but the barley harvest was about that. Like there's this hopeful one line to sort of end the chapter and be like, but harvest was here. And so, yeah, um, yeah. that's how we, that's how we leave commercial break. <laughs> we'll get to it next week. Yeah. 
All right, let's get to the New Testament. Matthew. Uh, so we are finishing up the Sermon on the Mount with mm-hmm. the next uh, little three sections of teaching on a tree and its fruit. Uh, so careful you listen to uh, that. There's plenty of people that will preach and prophesy, but look, if their lives don't line up with what they say or what Jesus says, particularly, then then you should be really cautious. Yeah, and, and pay attention to the long game here. I mean, see how they live their life for um, more than their 15 minutes of fame. It's so much in scripture talks about our endurance in the midst of trials and suffering. You don't, that's not usually proven immediately. Yep. So let somebody's time and, and fruit show you if they're worth following. Yeah. And then people come up to Jesus, or Jesus tells a story of people coming up to him on that day. So he's speaking of this sort of judgment day um, that people will come up and, and be like, look, I, I prophesied in your name. I, I did these things in your name. And Jesus mm-hmm. like, look, I, I never knew. Like the, 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 we never had a relationship like that was never there and and it's interesting because i mean there should be a little bit of uncomfortableness for all of yeah. us to be like look like these people didn't know they they genuinely got to jesus thinking like look jesus like we're good right just like no <laughs> um and and it seems like they also don't understand the gospel at all because they just they just start listening off do we not do all these things for you and just like that's not the point like, right like the point is that you and i have a relationship um and which only comes through faith. And so, right. um, yeah. Our works are evidence of our salvation, but we are saved by faith and not by what we do. And I, I just hope this this passage kind of produced a prayer in you of saying, Lord God, I don't want to be one of those people. Um, yeah. And don't, <laughs> kind of like, don't let me be in the life of one of these people right. um, without God using me to reveal to them like what a mercy of God when he, you know, we're walking so many people walk, watch away, walk away from their faith right now um, in this kind of post-Christian time in America. And I just pray that God will continue to even show mercy to people who aren't saved, but maybe think they are. And I think that's some of what we're seeing, but we can just pray that they return to Christ and understand that we are saved by faith and not by our works. Yeah. And and Jesus wraps up his Sermon on the Mount with sort of this final statement, basically like, look, you either hear these words and you do nothing with them, or you hear these words and you you, you do them, you live them out. Those are the two ways of life. So if your life's built upon greed, materialism, sex, youth, beauty, appearance, popularity, followers, hedonism, travel, pleasure, whatever it is, or is it built upon Jesus? Like those mm-hmm. are your options. And um, and so, yeah, and, and reminder, like we are we are followers of Jesus, like we put our faith in Jesus, but that also means that we now follow Jesus. So like it's by faith we're saved, not by our works. But if we call Jesus our Lord, we do live out and and follow what he has told us to do. Um, so we have a faith yeah. that does. Um, we're saved by the fact that Jesus has done, but we have a faith that does. And so, yeah. Yeah. And no surprise, people are f- amazed and respond in sort of awe of what Jesus says because he doesn't teach like everybody else. The rabbis have all their ways of teaching, but Jesus Jesus has much more, um, is wielding much more authority in his book, in his teaching. And not only that, but like the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, he makes these like divine kind of statements about himself, that he is the gate and his teaching is a way of, of, of living in the judgment day. People would come to him. Um People cast out demons in his name. He has the audacity to claim his teachings, the foundation to build your life upon, not just the Torah, but him himself, his teachings. And so like, yeah, like he, he's making these very bold claims. And yes, this would be audacious unless he's God. And he is. Mm-hmm. He's put the cosmos into motion. He created our bodies and he created our relationships and how humanity would, would flourish uh, not confined by sin. And so, yes, he has the authority to say what he says. So, yeah. Yeah, this is the first time in Matthew where we see this word authority 
authority used, but now we're going to see it come up a lot of times as Matthew continues to argue that Jesus's authority was different because he was Messiah. Yep. So well, we move from his authority in teaching and we're going to move into his authority in healing and can kind of controlling nature. Yeah. He's going to live out some of what he just taught us uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because he, he encounters a leper. And by this time, uh, basically the, the whole population, because like if you touch a leper, it was so inconvenient, you'd have to go clean, you'd have to offer all these sacrifices. You have to go through this whole process to be clean again. So like eventually they, they just created leper colonies. They kind of moved them outside of town. They, they would have all these rules about how close lepers can get to people. It would, it would be pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I think Jesus is like, hold on. Like I taught you like, Hey, when, when you touch a leper, like this is what happens. But that's not to say don't ever touch a leper and, and not to, not to remove you. Like your job is to, to love your neighbor as yourself, including these lepers. And, and not only that, but like Jesus does the amazing cleaning work. So he like both shows off his divine nature, but also shows off like what he has called his people to do. And, and so he cleanses and that's what Jesus does. And he's the only one that can really do this sort of cleansing and, and this immediate removal of, of, uncleanness, uh, which we already saw in Acts to sort of the, the teaching with Peter and, and, yeah. and making unclean things clean. But yeah. And that's just a, like a really beautiful gospel picture. There is one person who can touch someone who is leprous and make them clean. Yeah. Just like there is one person who can touch us when we are unclean and we are broken by sin and make us clean. I mean, Jesus is, Matthew here is like, look, Jesus is the Messiah. He makes things that are unclean clean just by a touch. Right. And, I mean, and everybody else that touched this that. leper would be unclean would, would with the unclean. Leper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's, I'd not thought about I don't know the the gospel connection of leprosy representing sin and brokenness yep. and um, what it looked like before to get clean, which you know, versus Jesus just coming in and cleansing is is a cool connection to make. And so we see Jesus move from a story of someone that would have been totally marginalized to a centurion, which is the pagan oppressor. <laughs> like if there's a story, hey, I just taught you how to love your enemies. Like mm. here's an enemy that comes up to Jesus and and goes, look, like Jesus, I I I I need I need this healing and I know you have authority. So like I don't even need you to go. I know how authority works. Like I'm an officer. If I say things, they happen. So Jesus, if you have authority, when you say something, I trust that it'll happen. And and it does. And Jesus remarks this man's uh, faith. And he says, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith uh, in anyone in Israel. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you were a bunch of Israelites hearing that, you, you would go crazy. Be like, what? You just held up a center. Like, those are our oppressors. Like, right. this is the great faith of anyone in Israel. Um, it's, and, and so, it's cool how often we see that, though. Even in, we, we see that in Ruth and her faith is in Yahweh, and she's not from Israel. We see that in Rahab, um, and she's not from Israel. We see people outside of the people of God exercising greater faith than those who are chosen. And I just want to say that this is one of my favorite passages on prayer. I think it's a reminder that our most powerful and impactful work can be done in prayer, can be done asking the Lord for things. So you can pray for people that you cannot access, whether it's overseas or in prison or just who are struggling, and know that your prayer is going to have more impact probably than anything you can actually do tangibly. Yeah. Yeah, if all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus— that pretty much covers everything we know. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, he has authority in places that you can't get to and he can. Yeah. And so, so um, where do you want God to work? Pray for that and believe that God will hear even if you're not there. Yep. Uh, 
But this does lead to the indictment of these people. I said, many who come from east and west, which would have symbolized the Gentiles coming from outside. And you on the inside who are here and not catching this, not understanding the mission to the Gentiles, not understanding what Jesus is about. He's like, you're, you're not going to be at the celebration table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, you're going to miss out on this because you don't get what, what we're doing, what, what the kingdom is really all about. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus keeps going on healing. Uh, he's driving out demons. And um, I find it interesting in the next story, in that story that he uh, quotes Isaiah 53. And, and Matthew's statement is, this was to fulfill. As if um, sometimes we read the suffering servant, we ascribe all of it to the cross. But for Matthew, it's like, no, no. What Jesus did in his life is part of his suffering mm-hmm. as a servant too. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, just think of the humanity of Jesus that he had to for the first time in, I guess, all eternity, not that you can really compare times in eternity, <laughs> but um, he was not self-sufficient as a human. He needed sleep. He needed food. And yet he had this power of God to heal and speak, uh, but he also had to acknowledge the confines of his humanity. Yeah. So when we read in Philippians about him humbling himself to take on the nature and form of of a human, it's it's more than just... Uh, there's a lot to it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Jesus has supernatural power, but at the same time, he is fully man. And so like maybe driving out demons all night is just taxing on him and, and healing and caring for probably a very difficult collection of people. And, and yeah. And, and so at some point it's like, this, this is part of his suffering yeah. as, as a, as a, as a human, as fully human in addition to his fully God. Yeah. And then Jesus gives a warning uh, to somebody that's going to come up to him and be like, "Hey, I want to follow you." And he's like, "You don't know. You don't know what you're asking. Like, you're not signing up for a posh life or anything. Like, I don't have a home. We're going to keep moving. There's mission to be done. There's work to be done. And and wherever the rabbi goes, you got to go. So are are you willing to do that?" And um, then we hear excuse makers like, "I need to go bury my father," and and I think Jesus is like, "No, the life is life is going here. That's death. Like, follow me. It's not going to be light. It's not going to be trivial." It's going to be counterintuitive persecution. You're going to be an outsider at times. It's difficult. It's going to be costly. But that's what following me involves. Mm-hmm. And um, it's easy to sometimes, yeah, Sarah, Sarah said this second. It's easy sometimes to describe it to like people that are going to be very persecuted and likely killed or driven out because of their belief. And, and but these words are still our words as followers in 2020 America. Um, and I don't know how much we, we think of following right. Jesus and, and carrying all these sort of warnings and being comfortable with these warnings and going, you know what? Sure. I'm still signed up. That's what, that's what it's going to cost me. Okay. I'm still in. Um, yeah. It's kind of, I think of like this sheepfold and Jesus is being the shepherd and we're instead of, you know, do we want to be at his feet like the sheep are with the shepherd or do we right. want to stand at the very corner of the pasture and be like, see, I'm still in the pasture. I'm just looking at everything outside the gates. Yeah. I'm not very close to you. Yeah. And, and, and going back to Luke, like Jesus is pretty strong at some points where it's like, look, like if you don't think you could do this, like just like going to war, if you don't think you have enough soldiers or you can't finish a tower being built, like if you don't, like don't don't do this if you don't think you can really get behind it. And um, I think sometimes it's it's culturally advantageous to still do it in America and and to follow Jesus, even though you don't actually believe in Jesus. But um, yeah, it, I think Jesus is really giving some strong warnings and 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 some reality of like, look, like this is part of it. And mm-hmm. and he's going to tell next week about like, look, don't don't fear, don't fear man in this process. Like, there's no point. Like, you should fear. The, the God who created your body and your soul. And um, I think kind of dealing with that question of like, look, 
this, this is going to be hard. It's going to be those against you. And that's, that's what you should expect. Mm. And yeah. so uh, we get a story now. They're going to take a boat across uh, the water and head towards the Gerasenes, which is part of the capitalist. We covered this in Luke, this Gentile part of the country. Um, and uh, they're on a moat, boat heading towards these Gentile pagans and somebody's asleep at the wheel or someone's asleep in a boat. And so this has hearkenings back to Jonah. Um, but we see Jesus calm the waves, um, Psalm 107. And he's doing what God does. He hushes them. He calms them. There's there's language uh, between the Greek and the Hebrew that is not normative language to how you talk about waves kind of dying down. And mm-hmm. so um, I think it's just a callback. And then even the disciples quote Psalm 89, right? like, who is like, who is this? Like that that's Psalm 89. Like who, who is like you or who does that? Who calms the seas? Who stills the seas? And so, yeah. Um, yeah so even Matthew here is saying like, look, see, he's God. He's Messiah. He's the one who control can control water and creation. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew, Matthew makes so many God claims. He just does it through all the things. Old Testament fulfillment. Yeah. He just does it in, in unique ways. Yeah. Um, and then it gets to the other side. There's two men here with demons. So if, if you remember back to Luke, there was one demoniac. Matthew has two. There's all sorts of different theories if you really want to go down a rabbit troll, a rabbit troll, rabbit trail um, <laughs> on that. But um, Matthew's story is way less Roman than Mark and Luke's. Uh, but Matthew's goal, I think, is talking about like, look, like Jesus, Jesus goes to the Gentiles, and and his kingdom is is healing them as much as it is others, and um, to places like the Gerasenes, to places like uh, where these Gentiles, these pig dog Gentiles uh, live. And so, yeah, it's significant. Yeah. I think what stuck with me in reading the story was how the town behaved. You know, I mean, Jesus came, um, sends demons into a herd of pigs that run off a cliff and he destroys their livelihood and they beg him to leave. Yeah. And it's I like just, Ephesus. yeah. yeah and, and you know, like God often does or allows really upsetting works in our lives. Consider Naomi, who we just read about, but don't be one of the people who sends him away or rejects him because one of your idols or one of the other things you trusted in, uh, fills you just because you didn't get the job you wanted or because your marriage has fallen apart. Doesn't mean that Jesus isn't worth every single thing you ever wanted. Um, he's worthy of our worship no matter what the cost. So I just, I, it makes you really pray that I'm not one of those people from the Decapolis who sent him yeah. away. Yeah. What's more important, their livelihood or their salvation? Yeah. <laughs> and they're choosing their livelihood, at least at this moment. Yeah. Or they just, Based yeah, they, they had they this thing yeah, that yeah. they were holding on to yeah. and they're like, oh, you're, you're challenging that. Jesus, yeah. I don't want you so close. Yeah. Even though these demoniacs have been driving us crazy and you deal yeah. with her problem. But now that you dealt with her problem, can you get out, please? Yeah. Because- <laughs> or like, I like hearing the stories of you on the other side of right. Galilee, yep. but don't get too close to me. Yep. Um, and then we get the story of Jesus healing a paralytic. So uh, these guys start digging through the roof, which their roofs are like these layers of soil. So it would have taken them a decent amount of time to, to be digging. So, um, but uh, Jesus's healings often carry with it like a, t- a teaching moment too. And this is, this story is no exception. And um, that, that, Yes, like Jesus does a lot of healings, but like it's not the primary concern. Like even Jesus will eventually be like, "How long do I have to be with you guys?" And just, like I he- I do miracles, and you guys don't. It doesn't even do its job. Like Jesus is is ultimately connecting his heal- healing with teaching, and so um, the, the the they get inside. The guy's there. He can't walk, and then Jesus goes, "Your sins are forgiven." And so a little mm-hmm. bit of me sitting there going like, "Yeah, but he still can't walk." <laughs> 
and we weren't even talking about sins or forgiveness. And, and I think, I think what Matthew's doing is being like, okay, that was the topic of conversation because Jesus was teaching when, when they came in. And I think Jesus is sitting there going, all right, like I'm just teaching about forgiveness and Hey, your sins are forgiven. And, and to, to the crowd, I mean, that is blasphemous. And Mark goes out of his way to like point out who can forgive sins, but God alone. But Matthew's crowd would have totally understood that. And, and I think what Jesus is doing is actually pointing out the kind of Messiah that he is. Because once again, like I've said this about Matthew particularly, like everybody expected this Messiah to come in and just clean house, to, to enact judgment, to deal with Rome, to, to just like, yeah, to, to, to be the one to set them free in, in terms of uh, social political uh, problems. And, and he comes in going, no. <laughs> that's that's not that's not exactly what I'm here to do, and 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 him bringing up the Son of Man, there was definitely an expectation that like from Daniel that the Son of Man would come and he would enact uh, judgment and justice, and um and, and maybe he was in line with Abel. There's a lot of connections there, but but Jesus might be here going, no no no, like this is what the Son of Man is. You think the Son of Man is coming to enact judgment, but but no, like what I'm here to do is for about forgiveness, and not only that, but like the final line, like. It stuck with me for a little bit. It says, who has given such authority to men? And and it, they don't say like this man or to Jesus or anything like that. They say to men. And I think what Jesus is doing here is going, look, what my kingdom is about is is not about trying to enact judgment, but but to provide forgiveness. Like it was already the odd introduction in the Lord's Prayer. And, and I think he he's teaching them this. And not only that, but teaching them and telling them, look, this is your role too. Like as you live this out, like, Yes, there's a there's a forgiveness that needs to come from God and salvation, but your role is to forgive your enemies, to forgive others. Like that is part of being a part of my kingdom. And and he's given them this power, this authority to, to forgive each other, which would have been totally outside the norm uh, for how people thought about forgiveness in in a first century context. And mm-hmm. so um yeah, which leads right into the next story. It's like speaking of forgiveness, let's spend some time with the tax collector. And so, yeah, I don't know if you had any other statements on the paralytic story. Uh, I mean, I think a couple of things that stood out to me is that um, the paralytic here is not the main part of the story. No, no, no. He's not even named. Yeah. Right. But Jesus used him in his circumstances in love mm-hmm. to illustrate a completely different point. And so for us, remember that like sometimes what's going on in your life may be less about you than it is about something else God is doing in someone's life. And also it's just an encouragement to have faith for others. Like we talked about the centurion having faith that Jesus would feel would heal his servant. Um, have faith for those you want to see healed, whether physically or spiritually, but believe for them and God will hear. Yep. And so, yeah, we move into that story of the tax collector, who is the author of this book. Um, and, um, and so it's, it's sort of like, okay, like, um, this this guy who everyone would have written off, no one. I mean, he sold out his own people. This is one of the lowest positions you could possibly be, and no one that's an Israelite would think very kindly of you. Um, but Jesus comes down and, and decides to have a meal with him, like invites him to be his follower and has a meal, which is a picture, particularly in hospitality culture, like, we're all right. Like, this is a restored relationship. Um, and he quotes Hosea to these people, and 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 it sort of goes back a little bit to that son of man. It's like, look, like, you want judgment from the son of man, not forgiveness. But remember, like, I judged you, like, because you didn't want to have mercy and compassion, like mm-hmm. Hosea talked about. Like, those are the things I wanted out of the weighty, like, those are the weighty things of the law. And, and I had to judge you for that. So, like, don't, you don't want judgment. You want this forgiveness. And this is really what my yeah. kingdom is about. Um, and yeah. So, 
God saying, I want I want devotion through the way you love me and take care of your neighbor, yep. uh, not through how many good Bible verses you have on coffee cups yeah, or yeah. how many streaks em- you have at empty attending piety. church. Like, the empty piety is not the goal. And if you're just checkmarking it, like you've missed some of the weightiest parts of, of what the law is really about. Mm-hmm. And, and then we get into questions about fasting, uh, which once again, uh, I think Matthew's there's a lot in Jeremiah here. There's multiple Jeremiah references, I think, around bride and bridegroom, around um, patches and garments and wineskins, which are even two stories right next to each other in Jeremiah. And, and so I think what, what Jesus is after saying, look, there, there is there is a judgment day that Jeremiah spoke about where a bride and bridegroom will be separated. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's not a good day. And in those days, there will be weeping and, and there will be fasting and there will be um, sort of that penitent sort of idea of fasting, I think. Uh, and then, um, but we're not there yet. And the bridegroom's here and I'm with you right now. And I've not come yeah. to bring judgment. I've come actually to bring forgiveness. Um, but you're refusing to listen. You're, you're like these old wide skids. You're like this tattered fabric. Like it's the old thing. And, and you're not getting that what I've come to do is is this new covenant and this new idea that a covenant's based upon forgiveness, not on judgment. And, mm. and, and until you get that, you're, you're going to miss the point. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It's, it's a, a Psalm 107. I don't know if you want to say anything about it, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think we see some parallels here to what we read about in Ruth. We hear about steadfast love, uh, which is the same word that we see in Ruth when Naomi blesses her and she calls her to deal kindly. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. It's like every chapter, every little paragraph is like, some people did this, but God redeemed them. And mm-hmm. then some people did this, and then God redeemed them. And yeah. Psalm 89. Uh, yeah, one more thing with Psalm 107. You know, it talks about how he satisfies us in our longing, and he fills us with good things. But remember, to be satisfied when you're longing, you have to have longing first. Or to be um, filled with good things, you have to know what it feels like to be hungry. So don't resent the times you feel longings or hungry. Uh, this is making a way for you to see and experience God's provisions. And Psalm 89 um, is a bit of a roller coaster if you read the whole psalm, but we only get sort of the positive side of, of the psalm, which is sort of praising of of. Um, of God here um, to hope about sort of David's kingship and his whole line and the covenant around David being king. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just sort of praising God around his king and his future king. Yeah. So next week, what should we look for? So pay attention to transitions from the end of Judges to the beginning of First Samuel. I know we read Ruth in between, but I don't want you to forget what we read about and what we saw in Judges as we move into the stories that we see in Samuel, uh, what's being pointed out about Israel during this time. Yeah, and even going back to the Jewish Bible, they would have shown, Judges and First Samuel would have gone back to back. Oh, yeah. Where's yeah. Ruth? Do you know? Ruth is right after Proverbs. Okay. Oh, you already said that. That's okay. All New right. Testament. <laughs> New Testament. So look at the order in which Jesus is teaching here, specifically what comes before Jesus promises his light burden and easy yoke in Matthew 11. And why do you think Matthew put it like that? Yep. And so uh, for me, the Old Testament, like uh, I think it's, it's great that we notice like at the end of every chapter, what is Naomi's state? Are her arms empty or, or is she full? Is there, is there plenty for her? Um, because we just saw the, her coming home saying, I have nothing mm-hmm. and, and we're going to see 
God provide uh, through his people multiple times. And then as we head into Matthew and continue, I guess, into Matthew, like I know there's so much Old Testament I think that Matthew's doing, and it can be very overwhelming and time consuming to do some of the work. But every once in a while, just take a moment. Like when, when they mention Tyre and Sidon, go, okay, where, what do we know about Tyre and Sidon? What has been said about them in the Old Testament? Um, Because Matthew's crowd's going to know their references because they would have had to memorize them. And so um, they don't need Bible gateway because their brain is Bible gateway. And, um, and so um, what, what do we know about these cities? What does it say? What might Jesus be saying because of the context of what has been said about the cities before? And I think it's important sometimes to, to do that work. Mm. It's not necessary. I think even a surface reading still makes sense, but um, sometimes there's more richness that can come yes, from doing some of that work. Sure. So that's it for today. Uh, thanks y'all. Thank you. Thank you.